Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajara Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. You know, he's a, a true dual threat. You know, I think there's getting to be a lot more of those in our league with the college game that it, that's that's uh, being played now. Um, you know, the biggest thing is we, we're going to do everything we can to try to make him a pocket passer. we we got to keep him in the pocket. Um, you've seen some games. You know, we played him obviously uh, tight, you know, early on and that kind of stuff. In the last couple contests, we've had some really uh, good good uh, results early, and then we kind of falter a little bit late. But uh, for us, we got to keep him in the pocket. we, we got to keep him contained with our four or five or six-man pressures that we have on third down. But the the biggest one is first and second down. Uh, the timing throws, we need to have good pressure from our corners, getting hands on people to try to disrupt some of the timing and, and let him really feel the rush. That is Todd Wash, defensive coordinator of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I really feel like that soundbite right there tells me they're going to go with the Aaron Rodgers employment plan. Um, and I don't mean employment like the Green Bay Packers. I think they will employ the don't rush the passer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, they basically just sit back, make them make decisions, defend, uh, throw a lot of people back there mm-hmm. in coverage. It's, if you, if you drop eight, you know, can you do that and just rush three even? You drop seven, rush four. What, what do you do? Um, whatever it is, make them stay patient. You know, people do it against Mahomes. You know, it's like this scheme does it against Mahomes, and that's what Gus did a couple weeks ago against the with the Chargers yeah. uh, against Kansas City, and he struggled. He had like 50% because he people think he gets antsy. Yeah. He's like, I want to get rid of the dang ball. I don't want to sit back here, right? Correct. But you have a mental clock. Mm-hmm. And so is that the way to do it with Deshaun Watson? I don't know. He doesn't it's have Hopkins. A, you don't have to defend Hopkins anymore. Yeah, but at the same time, it, it begs the question, if you can't generate a pass rush with three people and you give those receivers all the time in the world with some pretty speedy receivers with Will Fuller and Brandon Cooks, how is that going to pan out? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Pick your poison, hey, we'll right? we'll find out, huh? Tune in this Sunday. All right, listen, uh, real quick. We're going to have Bobby Weed on who designs golf courses here in a few minutes. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I want to finish this. Mm-hmm. The six-step to success plan. Sure. I don't think I said that right, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Minshew, does he exceed expectation? We think that's kind of even right now. I don't. It's kind of what he expects. So, no, the answer is no. He hasn't exceeded. We feel like he is this kind of quarterback. Good enough, but is he great? We're still waiting to see greatness. Lunch pail overachievers. I just don't know if – I think they did that for two games, but it's been a mixed bag. I think they've lost that, that resilient bunch that you told us about. Where are they? Mm-hmm. Show up. We need the resilient bunch back. Stars have to be stars. Miles Jack's being a star. DJ Chark's being a star. Uh, Gardner Minshew, I don't know if he's being a star. We kind of don't know if he is one yet. Joe Schobert, I don't think he's been a star. Uh, Josh Allen, I don't think he's been a star yet. I, I don't think, I'd be unfair to say he has been. Uh, lucky. Are they getting lucky from a health standpoint? Yes, early on, no right now. And it's starting to catch up to him. And so I would say no. So these this success plan isn't really working. It's kind of it's a little in the middle, and that's why they got one win. They looked okay in week two, and now they haven't looked that great in the last couple weeks. That's why the Jags are one and three. Again, this was a plan to get them to five hundred, folks. This wasn't a plan to get them to 
champions of the AFC, Super Bowl. This was a plan to maximize what you have and have a successful season. That's what I'm talking about. This wasn't this over-dramatization of, oh, my gosh, can you imagine if the Jags went 12-4? and four? That was not what this is. All right, here's the next two, and I'm going to put them together because I think you're going to give me a couple of examples of each, and that's why I asked you to hold off on Taven Bryan and, and even to James Robinson. Okay. But the, there's a second lucky in here for me that's unknowns have to emerge. Guys that we didn't really think would play that well or didn't hadn't done much in their career yet, mm-hmm. they've got to start showing up. Mm-hmm. And then the other part is rookie production. Mm-hmm. And you see why that goes together because James Robinson is on the – is. A number one on this list. He's rookie production, and he's a star that's emerging for them that we had no idea who that guy was, right? Sure, yeah. I think LaVisca Chenault, rookie production, right? He fits mm-hmm. in that category. I think Taven Bryan is kind of the guy I was looking for in terms of being lucky. Did the Jag, this unknown, th- th- was it's unknown that if he's got it in him. Right from from the fan from our perspective, yes. From the coach's perspective, like they sang his praises for how long? They did. So I think they were counting on Taven Brand to be a superstar. Well, he's either in the star, lunch pail, yeah. or unknown needs to emerge category. Regardless and he, of what he's it is, not it's filling not, the bucket. Yeah, exactly. So, have we had some unknown guys emerge? I mean, like we said, we we had James Robinson emerge. Um, I mean, Keelan you can't Cole. say Colin Would Jordan. Cole fit in this? Because he's like a fourth or fifth receiver, and he's done well. Yeah, um, but he's but he's been a known guy though. Like you've seen him in the past, yeah. you know. But he's um, not a star. See, there's like a middle category here. Yeah. Like that's not a star guy. Sure. Yeah, you can put like, the category. I mean, you could maybe put AJ Can. I mean, Doug Marone says AJ Can's playing the best football he's played. Sure. Maybe he's an unknown kind of like we didn't count on him to emerge. Well, here he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about? So I don't think the Jags have had enough of those, is my point. Correct. Right? I, I, I wholeheartedly don't think, agree with you. I don't think, like, the Herndons or uh, Josh Jones. He's been okay. Mm. But I'm not like, whoa, Josh Jones. Right? No, I'm not that, that at all. Absolutely I mean, not. Doug Costin. Uh, no. Gotsis. Nah, not really. No. You know, so those guys, those are what I'm talking about. Those unknown guys, does somebody step up and say, whoa, this guy's way better than I. Where'd they get this guy from? Mm-hmm. I don't think they've had enough of that. I'm not even sure we have enough examples to show you of that. Uh, and then the rookie production is interesting because James Robinson, LaVisca Chenault certainly fit the bill. Uh, C.J. Henderson, game one when they won, he did. Mm-hmm. Since then, he's kind of disappeared. Mm-hmm. Hamilton. Moments. Mm. But he's still not jumping off my TV. No. Right? So here we are, the six-step plan to success. And I would say it's hard to check anyone off yeah. right now, a quarter pole in the season. So I don't think I'm that far off because if you can't check anything, you're one in three. My plan's not a bad one. They're just not living up to it. No, your your plan's not a bad one at all. And like you said, you need a little luck involved, and the Jaguars haven't been lucky in terms of injuries. But I'll be honest with you, even if you did have the luck on your side, I don't think luck's enough right now. I think luck's for losers um, in cases of the NFL, and I don't think they just have the personnel right now. They don't have, um, you know, the mindset. There's just there's just a lot of things wrong right now with this team, and obviously it stems mostly on defense. Yeah. Um, who who so give me give me two guys each side of the ball real quick as we finish up this topic. Who needs to emerge? Like, who needs to start? Uh, obviously, you could always Minshew, get consistent and maybe elevate a little bit more. I think he's right here. Can you get here if you're Minshew, right? Yeah. Can you get another notch or two up uh, on your belt? Yeah. But I think the offensive line's been pretty good. 
So who needs to emerge? Uh, Chris Conley needs to emerge because you need to start going with a deep threat. Chris Conley's okay. that deep threat. So you, is she saying two on offense and two on defense? Or yeah. Okay. How about Eifert? Yeah, I was going to say Tyler Eifert. So Eifert and Conley on offense, on defense, and listen, you know how I feel about it. Like, And I've said it many times, Josh Allen is fractions of seconds away from getting home to the quarterback at least like five or six times, right, from having quarterback sacks. It's just, you know, there's not a lot of interior pressure. Quarterback gets the ball out too quickly, and it is what it is. But obviously Josh Allen needs to improve a little bit just in terms of those numbers because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, you know, how many hits you have. It's one thing, but if you don't get the sacks to match it, you know, what are we talking about? So Josh Allen can emerge, and another guy on defense. Eifert, Conley, Josh Allen, and... I mean, who do they need to emerge? They need somebody in the secondary to step up. So, so Henderson. Let's go Henderson. That's going to be your star. Let's go Henderson. Henderson's got to yeah. be your star. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a detour. All right. Uh, <laughs> away from football for a few minutes. And I'm going to eat lunch. You go eat lunch. Yes. And we're going to visit right now with uh, really one of the great course designers, golf course designers uh, in the world and locally right here, has his fingerprints on a lot of different courses. And also this week's PGA Tour stop out in Las Vegas, TPC Summerlin. Uh, welcome to the show, Bobby Weed here at Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Bobby, how you doing? I'm good, Brent. Everything's great. Good. Uh, Bobby, I guess I don't even know if you remember this, but I remember you playing with us on our Dream 18 down at Palatka. I do recall that. Yes, I do. It's been a few years. <laughs> it had been a little while ago, and one of the courses that uh, obviously you designed, and you you have your, like I said, your fingerprints on so many uh, in the area. I think Fleming Island's another one and a bunch of different renovations, most notably, most recently here in town, Ponte Vedra Inn and Club, the Ocean Course. Got a chance to play that a couple weeks ago. Fantastic job. I loved what you did with it. Well, thanks. It's uh it's pretty rare that I can uh, work in my backyard and sleep in my own bed. So uh, uh, during all of the COVID pandemic, it's been uh Bobby Weed with us here on Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. You broke up for just a moment, but I think we got you back. Uh, hey, how much thought went into that? How much uh, uh, did you not want to tinker too much but do what you had to do with Ponte Vedra Inn and Club and the Ocean Course? I think one of the notable things, obviously you built a new hole with number 13. Uh, number 10 took away from more practice range, and I know that was something they wanted to do. But I think the uh, – uh, de-elevation, if that's even a word, of the ninth and uh, the par five that I forget which hole also stuck out to me. Yeah, um, you know, we obviously have a corridor that we had to stay within uh, with the routing, and uh, we're fortunate enough to have some available property on the north end to build a new hole, a par three, uh, and by eliminating the tenth hole allowed us to really make some uh outstanding practice facilities par drop from 72 down to 71 uh we softened some of the green complexes um uh pretty much uh introduced some more screening areas um really no rough on the golf course all fairway and step cut big wide corridors on the ocean course uh, wind wind is really the defense of that golf course because we get quite a bit of breeze off the ocean. So, you know, it's just a fun, enjoyable golf course, both for resort guest and membership play. Yeah, I think that's the, the beauty of that. I mean, that thing can be a heck of a test, but it also can have a resort feel to it. Uh, how long was that process of kind of designing it, thinking it, walking it? Uh, drawing pictures, whatever it might take, and then obviously the completion of it. Well, uh, I would say we were closed for about a year, uh, 
know, start to finish. And uh, we had a couple months in advance to uh, to work on our plans and um, um, get everything worked out. So uh, um, I mean, we can do them. We can do them in a little less time. We had a good schedule and a and a, um, um, a good a good window of construction that um, that uh, that afforded and allowed us every opportunity to enhance upon you know pretty much every golf hole on the course. Wow, so that's that. I, I thought that would be much longer in terms of the actual what you're going to take down, add, all that. You're talking about a couple of months of preparation before you start digging dirt? Well, it's a renovation, so uh, we really didn't have to – it didn't require a lot of permitting uh, to speak of, a few permits, but uh, they were pretty local. So um, uh, on a renovation, you know, you fix what's broken and you keep what you like, and uh, that process went pretty smooth. And, you know, four or five months out, we knew we were doing the golf course, and uh, that gave us plenty of time uh, on a new golf course completely different. Yeah, absolutely. Bobby Weed with us. Uh, Bobby Weed Designs. Uh Golf courses all over the country, all over the world, right here in his backyard in Northeast Florida. But also this week's tour stop, TPC Summerlin uh, in Las Vegas. Tell us a little bit about that one. We did that golf course in 91 for um, Howard Hughes Properties when I was at the PGA Tour. And it's a tournament player club course. We did two golf courses out there. Both of them have been hosting tour events. And we're really, uh, I guess, in our fourth decade of hosting an event out there. And um, I would say it is the it is the first uh, it's the first tournament win for Tiger Woods uh, twenty twenty five years ago plus or minus so um, um, that's uh, that's kind of neat I was out there, I was actually out there uh, talking to him on the putting green uh, uh, before he won that weekend I think he beat Davis Love in a playoff for his first tour victory and um, had a pretty good run for the next twenty four years to say the least. <laughs> I was going to say, not bad. Uh, that's, that's a good little trivia question right there, too. Uh, is there some pride watching that on TV even all these years later, some quarter of a century later, watching uh, the event on at TPC Summerlin? Yes, because that's a very harsh environment. We're out there in the Sonoran Desert, and, uh, you know, they only lack two things that we really needed, and that was water and soil. <laughs> so um, that, that made it exorbitantly expensive. And uh, it's just, it, like I said, it's a very harsh environment. And to to turn that desert into an oasis uh, and and see it the way it is today versus what we uh, what we started with is pretty gratifying for sure. Bobby Weed with us. You, you know, you grew up around and and I would say matured in this business around uh, the, the great late uh, Pete Dye, and obviously, of course, TPC Sawgrass. And you've been around it. Uh, it seems like designers have their styles. Pete Dye certainly had his. Um, did you try to or have you tried to kind of lean on that style or morph into his style uh, almost as an understudy, or do you try to have your own? Uh, a little combination of both. Certainly I learned under um, Pete as my mentor and uh, owe so much to to both Pete and also to Dean Beeman from a business standpoint. But, uh, you know, Pete uh, – Pete taught me so much, and I guess one of the things I learned most from Pete was his uh, his work ethic. He had such a strong work ethic, and uh, uh, I developed a strong work ethic early on uh, with my father, and uh, carried on through Pete. But his angles and um, the way the way his design strategy um, uh, works certainly has been handed down for sure. So uh, yeah, I, my design probably embodies a lot of that. Uh, to, to this day, there's very, very few golf holes that I build 
that I don't question myself and ask myself, um, you know, is, is you know, would Pete sign off on something like this? Or he also taught me that it's okay to make changes and to shape and mold it. And we're building golf courses in the field. He always said, you show me a golf course built by a set of plans, I'll show you a bad golf course. So we built our golf courses in the field and, um, and we're constantly massaging, shaping and molding these features until they feel, they feel good that we can turn over and grass. So, uh, yeah, so much of that I can't, that came, uh, from Pete. Bobby Weed with us here on Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690. Keep me for a couple more minutes. I'm, I'm looking at your website, bobbyweed.com, by the way, and you should check it out and see all the different courses that you've had your fingerprints on, on these golf courses from, uh, original builds and designs or even renovations. And, uh, there's so many. I want to play them all, by the way. Uh, they're, they're fantastic, uh, looking in terms of pictures. Uh, is this like asking you, like who's your favorite kid i mean do you do you like them all i mean do you have something that hey this golf course should get more attention than it does because it's it's like this sleeping giant or the best kept secret how do you you view some of the courses that you've worked with well early early on working with pete um working on such long hours uh he he just made it fun uh, there was there was just something about working 12 and 14, 15 hours a day. Uh, Pete somehow turned it into fun, and uh, that's what we've always tried to do is have fun building golf courses. Some stand out more than others, Brent. But yes, you're right. They're kind of like the children. Uh, you you love them all, and uh, there there are some aspects that you like more than others. Uh, I guess some of the memorable ones were obviously working with a great owner, and a, a lot of great golf courses start with great owners, and uh, also the site that you have to work on. So uh, um, I, I think all of those factors weigh in. And um, But you're always looking to find something you like about all of these golf courses. Even the ones I don't design and build, there's always something I'm trying to learn from every golf course I'm on. Yeah, I was thinking, I was like, when you play golf, are you like, whether you designed it or not, you're like, what the heck did they put this here for? Yeah, I'm definitely my own worst critic for sure. And uh, I'm always uh, I'm always looking at the strategy and trying to figure out, you know what they were thinking when they built a golf hole um, here or there. So uh, yeah, that's just that's just part of the game. Yeah, it's kind of I bet it's like being a restaurant owner probably and going to another restaurant. <laughs> you can't help uh, but the critiquing at times. Uh, two more questions for you. Uh, we have seen a boom in golf during the pandemic. It's been unbelievable. How many people are playing golf? I mean, you try to get a tee time tomorrow around here in Northeast Florida. Good luck. You won't be able to get it. And I think that's the story really all across the country, uh, up north as well. Is, do we golf. need more golf courses? Uh, are we okay well, with the amount of golf courses? Because I feel like if I had you on three years ago, I would have been asking you about the shutdown of some golf courses. Well, I think we're probably still closing more courses than we're opening. Uh, right now so there's still some attrition and it's all about supply and demand but i will say during the um uh, the covid pandemic golf has truly become a shining star because you've seen more families out you've seen more uh rounds being played uh, every golf course i've been to their rounds have been up uh more than ever before so uh that speaks that speaks great to being outdoors, being outside from a recreational standpoint, spending more time with your children, your family, and uh, and that's just good. That bodes very good for golf.
Absolutely. Bobby Weed with us here at Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Okay, last one for you. Uh, and I want to ask you a little bit. Jack Nicholas has designed a, a ton of golf courses. Tiger Woods seemingly is getting in the game. I don't know how many, but I know he just opened up a new one, and, and they, they showed that one uh, recently on the Golf Channel. But I think he's really getting into that part of it, or at least has his, his uh, name attached to some. Uh, it's just because you're a good athlete, say, or a good player, doesn't make you a great coach all the time. Uh, for these guys, Jack Nicholas just seems very good at it. Is Tiger Woods going to be a very good golf course designer because he was great at golf and he, the way he visualized golf shots and everything else and his knowledge of courses and game, uh, does that translate from good player to good course designer? It does if he hires the right people to work with him. Uh, Jack had a, Jack had a knack. Jack was a um, uh, had a knack for for hiring people uh, that that were quality architects, so that you know he could work with uh, and, uh, and 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 certainly be part of that process. But uh, yeah, you're right. Being a great, I've worked with 17 or 19 tour players when I was with the PGA Tour as player consultants, and um, some of them had very little involvement. Some of them wanted to be more involved than others. But it really, it, it, it takes a lot more than just that name up front. It takes a real team. I mean, that name up front being Nicholas, he he might be the quarterback, but as you know, you got to have a good line. You got to have a good. You, ha- you have to have great receivers. And in our business, uh, I'm kind of the quarterback. And I have to surround myself with good quality individuals. And um, uh, I think that's what makes you successful for sure. Bobby Weed with us. Hey, I lied to you. I'm going to ask you this one more question because you know who's leading at TPC Summerlin, the course that obviously you were the architect for, is Bryson DeChambeau. Nine under par, round one, he shot a 62. He's unbelievable, playing great golf, and he hits it a mile. How much, when you start figuring out a golf course these days does Bryson DeChambeau come into play in your in the back of your mind because of the distance in the game right now especially from him it'd be better if I could put all my bunkers uh on uh with wheels underneath them so I could move them out another 40 or 50 yards because uh uh, the course we just finished down in South Florida for Michael Jordan, our bunkers are out at 325 and 350, and we're narrowing down the landing areas out in those areas. Not 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 necessarily taking the driver out of their hands, but if they're going to hit it that far, they're going to have to hit a little more accurate, a little more straighter. But uh, there's really no such thing as a par five for these tour players anymore. And um, um, you know we're building we're building par threes for these guys at 275, 285, just to get long irons in their hand. It's uh, it's a a little bit ridiculous but um you know at, at the end of the day um yeah they're shooting big they're shooting low numbers but um you know par par is somewhat irrelevant low score still wins and um um you just you just really can't build that many par fives today for these guys because everything is so short for them and uh and, and but then again you can't build golf courses um for these tour players it's very difficult um, because, you know, they're only there for one week at a time. So, um, you know, it's the 51 weeks of the, of the year and who else is playing the golf course. Um, the tournament players club has the best opportunities to build a set of clubs to host these tour events and, uh, and really back these things up a lot more, uh, because it's a bomber's game out there right now. And you've got, you've got Bryson toying around with a 48 inch driver. And um, he's kind of warming up for Augusta. So uh, I thought it was pretty appropriate for him to win the U.S. Open right underneath the USGA's eyes a couple weeks ago when um, 
when you know technology has been the big discussion point for a few decades now. So uh, um, it, it's uh, it's interesting times. I think it's an exciting time, particularly from a golf course design standpoint, because I absolutely uh, embrace the challenge to uh, to challenge these guys. Uh, on a different level today than they've been challenged in the past. So, you know, we're rethinking golf course strategy. We're rethinking our angles and our hazards and our bunkers, et cetera. Uh, I think it's a great time from my standpoint. Uh, I accept the challenge and um, look forward to building more golf courses to, to, really, to really challenge these guys. In the future. Yeah, I love the attitude, by the way. You either get mad at it, get off my lawn kind of attitude about it, or you're like, hey, bring it on. Well, we'll, we'll find the next challenge. And it, it almost freshens things up for a guy that's been doing it for a long time like yourself and doing it so well. Bobby, we great to catch up with you. Uh, thanks for taking a few minutes. Thanks, Brent. All right, Bobby Weed, uh, go check it out, bobbyweed.com. See all the golf courses that he's put his fingerprints on. It's unbelievable. Uh, and it can't help but think of when... Someone like Bobby Weed's designing golf courses, which I just think is a fascinating process in itself. Uh, and I saw it firsthand at Ponte Vedra Indian Club because a lot of these guys, a lot of the courses, like I might go to a course. I don't remember it two, three years later, but I've played Ponte Vedra Indian Club, the ocean course enough to know when the next time I went out there, like a couple weeks back, you could see the differences. Like you could tell the difference, how it might impact your game or whatever. But a lot like what he's talking about with Bryson DeChambeau and the pros, which I think is great um, uh, a vision on his part, too, is don't get caught up just in that. That's one week a year. You're, you're building these courses for other people, too, whether it's members, resort guests, the average golfer. It's a lot like baseball right now, right? Baseball's changed in front of our eyes. You hit a home run, you might win the game, yeah. right? We, yeah. we, we joke about it, but you don't bunt anymore. You don't move runners. Striking's out, striking out's okay. Throw it harder, hit it farther, and that's it. And Golf's changed that way too. The only thing that's different is I don't think they're going to change the ballparks in baseball. Like, yeah, there's so much you can you do. You can't change. I yeah. mean, but that's what Bobby just said. There's only so much we can do. True. I mean, we can't make a 750 yard par five. There's no, not you're enough right. Land. Yeah, you're right. But at the same time, though, it's almost like if you're trying to design a new course, like you're designing it for now, obviously, and trying to make it nice. We also try and design it for the future as well, of where the game could go, if you will. That's a tricky part of it, yeah. uh, no doubt about it. Good visit with Bobby Weed. Who I was, I was, I was wondering if he'd remember that. We down at Palatka, um, which of course that that he renovated, and he played on our Dream 18 years ago. Back when we didn't do the tournament, we did a TV segment. We had someone from the area play and a celebrity and a person from the first tee. That was a lot of fun down there at uh, Palatka. Not sure I've been back since, quite frankly. Got to take a ride down there. Build Azalea. Golf tournament. Legendary one in the area. Uh, when we come back, I'll give you an update, by the way, on those home runs in baseball. Yep. Can we get the Yankees out of here? Potentially. The wall that says it Stan all needs more coming home up runs, at Brent. five. Come on. Plus, Steve Lehman joins us. What's the latest in Tennessee? Should they be punished? I know you talked about it a little bit yesterday, but here we are a day later. Has anything changed? Will they forfeit against the Bills? What's the latest on the Tennessee Titans COVID-19 in the NFL? It's next on ESPN 690. Brent Martineau. Uh, Daniel uh, says, we went from hot Cheetos to shampoo, raising the intellectual portion of the show. Austin Lane. I'm wearing a sleeveless t-shirt. What more do you want from us, man? Like, I mean, it's Friday. We never said we're intellectual. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690. Coach Watch is, I mean, I don't know how to class it. He's a, 
Let me say he he likes to have fun. He's a he's he's not loose in terms of like uh, loosey goosey or anything like that. But he he knows how to have fun. He knows how to get serious when time when you need to be serious, and he knows where how to push players to properly to get the best out of them in practice and in games. And obviously he's with the D line a lot because he's a D line formerly D line coach. But he stops in uh, to different meeting rooms along the day, and you just got uh, chops it up. So. I mean, he's he's at, he's present in I think every room, and he's present vocally, um, and I think he does things the right way. That is Joe Schobert, Jaguars uh, linebacker, talking about Todd Wash, and obviously Wash has come under fire the last couple of years for the defense, and um, I think players like playing in the system for the most part. There was some talk in '16. I was a young and, and kind of very. Uh, outspoken group from Tayshawn Gibson who wasn't comfortable with his role mm-hmm. to Ramsey you know whatever when it wasn't working well though that might have been more pouting Ramsey than it was actual belief Ramsey because the next year he thrived in it mm-hmm. uh, then they moved Gibson around back there and it wasn't so boring for him mm-hmm. so it's interesting but I think overall it seems like and people like playing in schemes when it works right? yeah listen if, if you're having success but more importantly winning games then that's a scheme i want to be in right you, you can have the most generic vanilla scheme but if you're winning football games sign me up for it all right right now we are uh, going to nashville and uh they're trying to defend covid19 yeah quite frankly mm-hmm. uh the titans are in a, a bunch of trouble in in maybe even in the league's eyes, but they've got a big problem on their hands with the breakout of COVID-19, which we wondered if this would happen. But now they have become essentially like the Miami Marlins were in the first couple of weeks of the Major League Baseball season. That's what the Tennessee Titans are. And there's a game that got canceled last week or postponed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Steelers and the Titans end up on a bye week. Now the Bills upcoming. And uh, we're going to go to Nashville, get the latest on it uh, with our buddy Steve Lehman, who once again you called. I don't know, Steve, if you were listening to the show yesterday, but Austin Lane continues to rave about your attire. Style, man. And, and with listen, with wow. all due respect to John Bachman here in Jacksonville, because you know how I feel about John Bachman. I said Steve Lehman should not be covering the Tennessee Titans. He should be on the red carpet of the Oscars or the Golden Globes <laughs> or something like that, man. What's going on? Well, I'll be honest, I would rather be at the Oscars or the Golden Globes right now than covering COVID-19 as, like, my daily beat. So I will take that compliment. As you should. I I, I can feel for you, man. I'm like, gosh, thank goodness that isn't happening here. Because it's in our our business, when you got the newsroom calling you at 9 a.m., probably 7 a.m., noontime, 2 p.m., 5 p.m., hey, what's the latest test results? What's the latest test? Mm -hmm. We don't know. Yeah. But they want to know. Well, uh, this is going to be well, an awful story Brent, to come. You know in. how it is, though, because in this business, we work on the nighttime side of things. You know, <laughs> I leave the station most nights at 11 o'clock or a little bit thereafter. And right now, I mean, I'm literally waking up to text messages at 6.45 and 7 in the morning about various <laughs> testing results. And then as soon as that happens... Then you're trying to figure out, okay, so what does this mean about when the facility is opening or it's not opening or what's this mean for this guy and uh, when are they doing any media availability and what do I have to write today? And then 
you still have to do all the stuff that you normally do on the back end of the day. It's just it's made days very long on both yeah. ends. And by the way, when teams are winning and like Tennessee is going to the AFC Championship game or the Jags go, you don't mind that a bit. You you you'll work right. twenty hours a day and it's fine. But this makes you respect the heck out of, but also hate guys like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport and Dan Graziano and everybody else because every report that comes out, you have to go confirm and verify. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm also convinced, by the way, most of those guys are going to bed at like 8.30 p.m. Because <laughs> they're point. up way before me most days, but they have dinner at like 4.45, and they're at bed by 8.30. <laughs> That's a good call. <laughs> All right, so what is the latest, man? I mean, we're getting close here. That facility still is not open, and Titans have had over 20 players and staff members. Uh, what's the temperature in Nashville? I mean, is there a little worry, panic? Uh, defense mechanism going on because right now this is a big eyesore, of course, all across the NFL. Yeah, I, I think the biggest way to describe it is sort of confusion and what the heck is going on. Obviously, the initial part of the outbreak last week was concerning for everybody and it led to a postponement of a game. But I think everybody around here really thought that they were on the back end of this thing through the weekend. And then Monday and Tuesday, there were no tests that came back positive. And the thought here was we were going to wake up on Wednesday morning. There was going to be no positive test. This thing would essentially be behind them. They would be back in the building later in the day. They would be able to practice and have essentially a normal ramp-up work week to get ready to play the Bills on Sunday. And we woke up Wednesday morning, and there was another positive test. And the facility stayed closed. And then we have another positive test, actually two positive tests today, that brings the total to 23. And now, I mean, Sunday's obviously in doubt, but I think playing it all this week against the Bills is in doubt. And there's nowhere to put that game if you don't play it this week. They, they got a nice tidy break last week with what they could do in rescheduling the Steelers game in week seven and moving around the Steelers and the Ravens by and having them play the next week. That's not going to happen this week against the Bills, and it's probably not going to happen ever again on the schedule. And so that's a real concern here in Nashville, and I think it's a huge concern for the NFL. Steve, speaking of a concern, uh, I think it was yesterday, Pro Football Talk um, released an article, and to quote that article, they said there's a lot of buzz right now in league circles of possible historic punishments coming down for the Tennessee Titans. We think about historic punishments, well, obviously, first-round picks have been taken away before. We've seen that. I mean, when I hear the, the, the phrase historic, it leads me to believe that we could be talking about canceling games, but forfeiting games, possibly, like on your radar right now, do you see that happening? If if the Titans don't play the Bills this weekend or next week sometime, could you see a possible forfeit for the Tennessee Titans? Well, look, Austin, I think we know, based off of what the NFL said the other day in its memo that said, we're taking this very seriously, and if we find teams were negligent or careless in following protocols, we're going to come down with severe punishment that includes financial punishment to teams or individuals, potentially the loss of draft picks, and even the forfeit of a game. So I think all of that is on the table. But more realistically, when I look at this, number one, that memo came down after the Titans outbreak started. Mm -hmm. So are they really going to go back and retroactively assign a forfeit or something because they didn't like something that happened before they told everybody that? That's one thing I wonder. I also think how do you make them forfeit this game against the Bills and explain that to the Steelers, 
who you just reworked their entire schedule and are going to make them play the game again in a couple of weeks. So to me, I, I don't see it realistic that they could do a forfeit. Maybe you just cancel the game and the Titans and the Bills end up with 15 games. I, I do think there will be a massive amount of fines that come down probably to the organization. I would imagine general manager John Robinson, head coach Mike Vrabel. I would think all of the players that were involved in these off-campus quote-unquote workouts that we reported yesterday on here in Nashville that they did last week that may have led into some of this continued outbreak this week, I would imagine they're all going to see individual fines. And I could certainly see draft punishment down the road as well. But to me, it's a little far-fetched right now to consider it a forfeit of a game. And the other thing here, too, is when you talk historic punishment, probably the largest punishment in the history of the NFL was from the Bounty Gate scandal back in 2012. Mm-hmm. I've heard people say they think it could be bigger than that. To me, that's absurd. I mean, Bounty Gate was something that we knew definitively what they were doing, and they were putting money on the table to try and go out and hurt other people. You may be able to say that the Titans were negligent or they did stuff that they shouldn't have done here, but there was no intent to hurt other people in what the Titans did here. So to me, that would be a step too far in the logic sense as well. But I I know there's people around the league who are certainly mad enough that they wouldn't mind seeing it happen. No, Steve, I mean, well, yeah, well, let's set the one thing straight right now. That, that bounty gate, I mean, to me, that's far worse. And I get it, COVID-19 is a very serious thing. But what happened in New Orleans, I mean, that's to me, that's drastically worse. But the question needs to be brought up a little bit, though. I mean, there has been allegations and, and there has been reports of, of players, you know, taking upon themselves, not following protocols and, and training, you know, in groups of 10, 11, 12, and 13 people. So with, with that being said, like, w- when you violate those protocols like that, you know, and obviously you're, you're not following the rules, I mean, I guess my question to you would be, what should the penalty be then? Like, what what would you think is right? Because obviously COVID-19 is a very serious thing. And if you're violating the protocols, obviously uh, a swift hand of justice needs to come down. Yes, I think you're right. And you bring up a really good question that honestly we're trying to get some of these answers to. So number one, I reported the fact last Wednesday night that Titans players got together and threw on their own at Montgomery Bell Academy here in Nashville. It didn't get any traction from anyone. Nobody seemed to care about it because I think the belief was, well, they've got a game on the schedule. Of course guys are going to try and do that, and this outbreak will go away in a couple of days. Well, now a week later when it didn't go away in a couple of days, and now you're looking at a second thing, The story sort of came back out yesterday. We reported some new details to it, and there was a secondary workout that involved some defensive backs at a different place. But all of a sudden, this became a massive story yesterday that everybody cared about. So I'm a little curious about why the national sense picked up on it yesterday, didn't care at all last week. But the other big question there is the NFL explicitly put out a memo last Thursday morning, the day after the workouts, that said no team can hold any sort of gathering off of their facility grounds. Workouts, charity events, anything. Can't do it. So that was very explicit that they could not do it. What has not been clear was whether the league told the Titans that when they shut down St. Thomas Sports Park on Tuesday and these players went out knowingly and willfully violating the directive from the league or whether that message wasn't really relayed and they just went out and did it 
and didn't understand they were breaking the rules. And I think that's where the NFL investigation is going to go to this, and they're going to have to answer that question. Did they relay that directive on Tuesday? Did the Titans team officials relay that to the players on Tuesday? Or did they not? And I think the answer will tell you a lot about how stiff the punishment is, at least for those players. Steve Lehman with us from News Channel 5 in Nashville, Tennessee, covers the uh, Titans, of course, does a great job of it. And, uh, Steve, as we wrap up with you here at Action Sports Shacks on ESPN 690, first, a couple of comments on what you said, because it's great information. And I think, one, what you reported last week before anybody else jumped on that, I think is more the fact that, okay, one game everybody can kind of live with. They thought, maybe even expected something to go down but now that it's two games and three and four days go by and more players and then nothing and then more players i think now that's why it's gained so much people want to jump on something they want to like pin all this blame right now on the titans for doing this and so they want to we you know this it's society thing we want to blame somebody and so we're blaming the tennessee titans at the moment one other thought on the punishment part too and the forfeit and this is why i think listen in jacksonville everybody would like to see the titans lose all 16 so if they have to forfeit it's kind of a joke you know you, you get it but it's I don't think he can go there. I think it's a slippery slope for the NFL to, you know, have the Tennessee Titans incur a forfeit over this right now. Maybe if they find more evidence down the road and there's more to harp on. But I kind of agree with you, man. If they cancel the game and they go off winning percentage, I think that's probably the tack to take at the moment. At the moment, that doesn't mean you don't get some severe penalties. My question, I guess, after a couple of those thoughts is how much is this on Mike Vrabel? Because... One of the big things about this season is how well will coaches and uh, organizations handle all this? How much buy-in will be from the players for this? How much are you going to let slide and be loosey-goosey because there are no bubbles? Uh, the Tennessee Titans right now are the you know are at fault for this. How much do you think is because of Vrabel? How much ownership does he have to take of it? Yeah, well, that's going to be another big question of the investigation because there have been a lot of things reported, none of which that I can definitively confirm. But there's some questions about how the Titans onboarded a guy they signed to their practice squad who eventually tested positive, essentially his first day with the team, and then whether a defensive assistant who was in contact with him failed to essentially tell people that he was in contact with him and then he tested positive two days later and then that's when they went to minnesota to play the game and there's questions did they do appropriate contact tracing did they wear masks on the flight and in the hotel and everywhere they were supposed to and that all sorts of speculation about those things very little concrete evidence that i've seen from anyone that any of that actually took place maybe the nfl has it and at some point we'd probably get that information but if that's true then i think there's a ton of blame that goes to mike vrabel and general manager john robinson and we when we compare the potential penalties to a bounty gate or something like that remember greg williams who was in charge of it got suspended indefinitely but sean payton also got suspended for a year Mm -hmm. now I don't know if you can do a full-year suspension for something that's so intrinsically tied to this season with COVID protocols, but I do think if they're looking to make an example or make a huge point out of this, I could see a long-term suspension within this season for Mike Vrabel Mm -hmm. to basically say, the buck stops with you, pal, and you didn't have the right messaging or the right enforcement for this, and this all happened, and you're the person we're going to hold accountable. 
Steve Lehman from News Channel 5 in Nashville. Hey, man, appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy as heck, but great insight on this. Uh, kind of a tough story to, to tell uh, there and, and, and discern, but uh, you're doing a great job of it. Good luck with it over the next few days. Well, thanks, man. I hope we're talking football again soon, but uh, you guys be well and be safe down there. All right. Make sure you wear a good tie tonight just for Austin. <laughs> I'm not worried about <laughs> we'll that, do. Brent. See you guys. Right. Later. So, uh, so you think they should just play a 15-game season then? Yeah, I, I think it's You're a crazy, slippery bro. slope, man. I do. I, I think unless there is hard evidence that you can tell me of, of certain things, and right now I feel like it's a little bit, yeah, it looks like this. It looks like that. It's a slippery slope for do a you, lot of teams that could end up getting it. I'm just saying, you know what's a slippery slope, though? When you reward the Tennessee Titans by only having a 15-game season. Because this isn't like the MLB where you play 60 games and it's, it's a rigorous, still long season. This is football where every single week counts. I mean, the whole point of this thing is, listen, you have to go out there. You have to sacrifice your bodies, put your bodies on the line. How much is Tennessee benefiting right now with A.J. Brown being hurt with that bone bruise when he's out night for a couple weeks to, to get back healthy again? Yeah, it's it, it's it's a fair it's a good point. Listen, I, you make good points. I just think it's a kind of egregious, and I think the slippery slope that could come from it is dangerous. It's it's a lot. Listen, it, it's so different than this. So sorry for the analogy, but it's like when Roger Goodell started becoming the the judge and the jury on all the, the all the disciplinary and things. It's like, well, that's not what you did over here. That's not what you did over here. Everything's different. It can be subjective, and so you've got to be super careful unless it's just this, bam, line in the sand. And yeah. some of that line in the sand came after some of what the Titans did. I'm just saying, if you expect the team to only play 15 games this year in an NFL season, that's not a punishment. That's a reward. Any team would take that kind of reward. Yeah, it's like an extra buy without It's an extra buy. A, you, you guys are getting healthier. Uh, one other thought. Right. I'll ask you if you can do this because I like what you're saying there. And uh, just an overall thought on this to wrap up the segment. And we go to the wall that says it all. Miles Jack, how good is he playing? It's next on ESPN 690.